This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 236. And the quote of the day is from Epictetus, who said, No man is free who is not a master of himself. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and this is session 236, the first session of 2017. I hope everybody had a great holiday, uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, and also had a good New Year's Eve, and today is Monday, January 2nd, so we're right into the beginning of the new year, and I want you to think about this year and think about ways that you can make it better than last year or the year before and who knows, you may have had a great 2016, but I encourage you and uh, I, I ask that you try to make 2017 even better. So hit me up. I want to know what your what your goals are for 2017. What are you working on? What do you got? What do you got on the burner? Uh, let me just let me know. Shoot me an email or, you know, hit me up on social or whatever. I'm really inter- I'm always interested to hear what people are what people are doing, especially inside of the community. So. Let's get into this conversation I had today. This is with the amazing Jack DeJanet. It took me a while to get him on the podcast. Uh, I was talking to his, I went back and forth with his manager for a long time, and Jack was gracious enough to do it. Jack is easily in my top five for my favorite drummers. I mean, he's been around, he's been on the scene for so long, since the 60s. He was born in 42 uh, and has part, played with Charles Lloyd and Fred Hubbard and Keith Jarrett and Bill Evans and John Abercrombie and Alice Coltrane. Like, just the list goes on and on. Miles Davis, Joe Henderson, Michael Brecker, Herbie Hancock, John Schofield. Uh, and he was inducted in the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame in 2007. Uh, was it? Yeah, 2007. So just a, a force to be reckoned with and an amazing, uh, an amazing player, an amazing human being. And I'm super, super honored to have him on here. So without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Jack DeJanette. Jack DeJanette, how are you, sir? Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Doing good. I have. Uh, it's a pleasure. I've, I've, we've we've actually we've never met, uh, but I'm a I'm a fan of your playing. I have been for years, and I've been using your your uh, snare head, the Aquarian Jack DeJanette model, for I don't know, maybe maybe ten or twelve years now. So pleasure to uh, to finally get to chat with you. Great. Have you tried it on the rest of the kit? I had um I had it on floor toms before. Never had it on the on the rack toms though. Yeah, they they make they improve the sound of the drum set like fifty percent. Really? Absolutely. Well, then that's uh that's one thing that I'm gonna have to check out. I'm actually I'm an Aquarian artist as well, so I'll have to uh I'll have to talk to my we had Roy uh Roy Burns on here as well, uh, but I'll, I'll have to talk to my buddy Chris and see if he can see if he can get me some of the other heads. Yeah, no, that that's that's some of the best heads out there, I think. You know? I I agree. I always, I mean, they, I've always loved the sound of them on the on the snare drum. So I'll definitely uh, check them out around the kit as well. Yeah, definitely. So the, I'm, I'm sure that everyone who's listening knows who you are. So I don't want to spend too much sort of on on the history of the things that you've done, um, but just to just to sort of set the context a little bit. 
Uh, I mean, you've, you've had a career that has spanned, you know, how many years now that you've been playing, uh, and you've played with some greats, like played with Freddie Hubbard and Miles Davis and, and John Schofield. And I mean, the list is the, the list is longer than, uh, than we have time to mention. Um, but I'm, what I'm really interested in is one, how you really got started playing and sort of that, that zero to one of getting started playing to really starting to develop a career. Because I think that once you start to develop your name for yourself, it's, it gets, it gets a little easier to sort of connect with other people and go from gig to gig and things like that. Not discounting what you've done, but I think that it makes it a little bit easier. But I love that zero to one story and, and walking down that road. So if we could just talk briefly about your backstory, how you got into how you got into playing. I know you started as a keyboard player, but where or a piano player, but where did it go from there? Well, yeah, I started playing piano um, when I was four or five from Chicago in uh, uh, in nineteen forty two and took classical piano lessons and then uh, when I got into my teens I started playing rock and roll singing singing some doo-wop stuff and then when I got to high school I started playing jazz my uncle was a jazz DJ I mean he was a big jazz fan early on it's through him that I got interested in jazz and uh, um, from there I started playing around Chicago well, you know, in high school, playing at functions, and then uh, I started uh, getting deeper into jazz and started gaining work as a pianist around Chicago and uh, um, was um, mentored by Mohaw Richard Abrams, pianist and composer, and uh, one of the... Uh, founders of the uh, AACM in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, actually, when I got into drums when I, I was in high school, actually, and I had a combo, and we used to rehearse my house, and the drummer left his drums in my house, and uh, I started practicing, just playing them. I, I had a natural affinity for them, and then uh, I started uh, practicing them, and, uh, you know, equal, giving them equal amount of time to practice each day. And then I started to work on drums as well. So uh, playing with people like Eddie Harris, and, you know, playing with uh, blues bands, playing with singers. And then, I start, you know, I work back and forth on both instruments, so uh, in Chicago. And then... Um, you know, it was Eddie Harris. I worked with Eddie, and uh, and uh, actually, it was during that time he he told me that uh, if I made drums my main instrument, that uh, I'd be very successful, which turned out to be quite true. <laughs> yeah. um, and then while I around the Chicago, uh, I got the opportunity to sit in. John Coltrane for three numbers at a local jazz club there. And uh, that was a big turning point for me in terms of my confidence playing uh, and uh, playing in a jazz ensemble setting. So um, I kept uh, working freelancing around Chicago uh, until I went to New York. Mm 
in the early 60s and, and uh, got hired by John Patton, actually sitting in with Freddie Hubbard at Minden's in New York. And, huh. you know, the rest is history. Right, right. So, well, you were saying that that um, it was mentioned that if you played drums, you would be a lot more successful. Do you, do you think that you were just naturally a better drummer than you were a piano player? Or do you think that you could have had a successful career being a piano player? I mean, I don't know. I just, I, knew, I just knew when John Patton hired me in New York that something clicked in me and said, yeah, I'm going to make drums my main instrument. Mm-hmm. Two things happened. I mean, one was that as a piano player, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to play with so many great pianists. So from a drummer standpoint of view, I actually learned more about the, the instrument from playing the drums chair and listening and playing with such great pianists and uh, asking questions. Uh, it uh, served me well. You know? So, um, you know, um, the piano also made me a better drummer in the sense of made me a better listener uh, and, and, and an improviser. I still play the piano. You know, I made a solo piano album mm-hmm. on vinyl. So, you know, piano is still very much uh, part of my uh, my creativity, you know. Well, yeah. I was I was going to ask that of of one. Do you think it makes you a better drummer, which you already answered? Um, but two, how do you think? How do you think it changed your approach as a drummer versus maybe a drummer who doesn't play the piano or maybe a drummer who doesn't play an un- another instrument? Well, you have to think of in terms of percussion. Yeah, and percussion is piano vibes, timpani. So they're all part of the same family, you know. <laughs> Right, but it um, you know it helps the drummer listen, uh, as particularly if they learn chords and scales, to uh, participate in the music more fully, in terms of the melodic, harmonic, as well as the rhythmic aspect of uh, participating with the other musicians. Would you suggest that drummers play another instrument? Well, you know, I think it, it helps you be well more rounded, of course. And most drummers do. Yeah. I know. They, and then they're composers, you know. So they play vibes, they play guitar, or they play uh, piano. Mm-hmm. When you were saying that you were splitting time between the two of them, when you decided that you were going to just focus on drumming, did you sort of let piano go to the wayside, or were you still practicing between the, between both of them as frequently? Yeah, and that's what I told you before. I said I sp- I spent equal time between the two. Okay, I thought you were saying until you be until you became a friend. No, 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 no. I meant both instruments. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, okay. I didn't catch that. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, because I I remember um, talking to Gary Husband about that, and he was saying that you know sometimes he would push one way or the other, and and sort of lean heavily into the drums and then when he felt like he was really making progress then he would sort of slide back to the slide back to playing piano and and back and forth so that's why i figured i would ask that question yeah i know gary and i played a couple two pianos on a uh i think an indonesian guitarist the album should be coming out soon yeah so oh awesome i played some piano with gary on drums on one track and in between takes we we did some two piano stuff. I was I was going to ask who were some who were some drummers that that uh, that sort of you would either like to play with or in, really have you know have played with before as a piano player. And what do you look for in a drummer? Depends on the music, you know. Mm-hmm. 
you know, different drummers bring out different things. That's why, you know, band leaders hire different drummers. You know? Sure. You know, being, being a piano player in Chicago, I used to, you know, I have to pick different drummers to bring out different types of music. So uh, I like drummers like Terry Lynn Carrick and uh, Nasheed Waits, and Marcus Gilmore, mm-hmm. Bill Stewart, Chris Dave. Oh, yeah. Now you had mentioned how you know different people will hire different you know hire different drummers to pull things out of the music because they're gonna they have different nuances they play differently and things like that. On the other side of the coin, there has to be different approaches when you're playing with guys. So when you're what's what's the difference in approach that you would have when you're playing with you know somebody like Miles Davis versus I know that you you're doing some stuff with John Schofield now. What what's there is there a different approach or is it just is it more of you just being you and and offering just your thing to that to that group? Well, you know, me being me, but being hired because of, of what I bring to the music, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why you hire different people because you know what they bring, and they know what they bring. So how they interpret the music, mm-hmm. interpret that music, and what they're going to bring out of the person, you know. So and and the best thing that can happen is that you know you and the other players inspire each other to to play things you wouldn't play otherwise and play at your optimum level of quality there's seemingly a difficult uh a difficult thing to sort of attain sometimes when you're when you're playing you think that you're playing what's right for the music or you think that you're complementing the music and and really playing musically uh when you may not be and are there are there certain tips or advice that you have for people to one to really get into the to the zone of that they're actually playing as an accompanying instrument instead of trying to sort of just get their ideas across and talk over everyone well the most important thing to do is to learn to be a team player mm-hmm. from that point of view and how best to to complement the music steve gadd is a good example about that you know he right. always talks about that you know supporting the music that's what's important Mm-hmm. You know, and that means everybody. You know, and, and having that, you know, uh, that intention to uh, get help make the music help uh, develop to its fullest and develop the composition from the composer. You know, mm-hmm. you know, a good level of uh, interaction and creativity within the group. You know. Do you think that that development comes in the practice room or happens on the bandstand? It's a combination of both, man. You know, you could practice all you want, but playing is the greatest way where you get the chance to develop your creativity. Sure. How do you suggest people practice? It depends on what they're working on, you know? It depends on what they're working on. Uh, they're working on technique is one thing. It's, it's not one thing, you know? It's like practice is one thing. You know, you can practice licks and things like that, but you have to be prepared to be, uh, to re- be able to respond in the moment. Practicing things that you've worked on when you just play by yourself is not is fine for that, but it's not interactive. Sure, it's pre sort of preconceived. Yeah, you have to be you, know, you have to be an interactive player, right? And some of that can be done with practicing with records or practicing with other people to develop that in a playing situation. Sure, and at the end of the day, I mean that's the that's the essence of it all, right? Is to 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 be interactive and 
rather than sitting in your basement playing by yourself, unless that's what you want to do. If uh, if you want to, yeah. you know, I mean, I practice with records and things like that. Right. So I mean, you know, and everybody, you know, practices rudiments or whatever it is, scales, chords, you know. So that that's that's rudimentary stuff. But I mean, you know, developing your voice as a player mm-hmm. is, is really very very important. And the reason why I ask that is because, as you said, it's a lot of the rudimentary stuff. I think every you know everyone knows they have to learn their paradiddles and they have to work on their technique and they have to work on their independence and things like that. But conceptually, um, when you're when you're talking about concepts and you're talking about you know supporting the music and playing musically and playing melodically and all those things, I think that's when sort of people start to get a little gray on and don't necessarily understand how to work on those things even if they're saying i really want to learn all of this stuff but i don't necessarily know how to start to execute those sorts of things yeah but i mean there are places they could go i mean online i mean there's like music minus ones where they can actually work with professional musicians if they if they don't have access to you know actual musicians you know in real time you know Mm -hmm. so there are things one could do sure Depends on how driven one is, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the key. And determined. Support for this podcast is provided by DW Drums, and they are, DW is like family to me, and they should be that way with you too. You should really get to know these guys. Uh, just check out what they have going on at dwdrums.com. Go to the factory in Oxnard, which is north of, of LA. Check out the factory. See what they have going on. Just an amazing group of people that make amazing, great sounding drums here in the US. Check them out and learn more at dwdrums.com. Speaking of amazing people, great shop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is Drums Etc. I've been shopping at Drums Etc. for years and you can order online, you can visit them in person, you can call them at 1-800-922-DRUM 1-800-922-DRUM and this is a small mom and pop family owned drum shop but they can answer any questions, they can get you anything that you need and their service is second to none. Do yourself a favor, check them out at Drums Etc. DrumsETC.com or give them a call at one 800 Drum. Evans reminds you to let no circle box you in. With the Evans Level 360, you get the most consistent fit for your drums. You can get a greater tonal range, effortless tuning, and the freedom to express yourself any way that you want. You can learn more about the Level 360 and all the Evans drumheads at evansdrumheads.com. Now let's get back into it with the one and only Jack DeJanette. Did you ever have a sort of a lull in uh, in your motivation or drive as getting better as a player? Never. No? Never. I wonder if, and I, I don't know if you can even answer this question, but when someone does have that, when someone does have that sort of that lull or that drive, is that sort of a, you know, is that a is that a way of the universe saying, okay, maybe this isn't for you, or is that maybe just someone that needs to go find some exterior motivation to keep them pushing and keep them moving forward i don't know it depends on what their intention is you know if they're getting tired of the music or uh, they just uh, you know reach a point where they're, they're not stimulated or they need to try something else or some different type of music or take a break i wrote an article about it a few weeks ago about sometimes you know 
you're in the practice room and and or you're on stage and everything sort of sounds the same and you feel stale and all those things and one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was just just sort of just walk away and let it let it go for a month or two and then and then come back and usually what I found is that I have a lot more a lot more creativity and I I feel a lot less stifled and and sort of renewed I guess you could say well that depends on what you're playing if you plan repetition all the time then you're going to get bored unless unless your view of, of being a professional musician is to be a, a supportive drummer that's playing a you know a part that a playing a function that plays the same arrangement every night mm-hmm. so then it's you know it's a routine right so it's that's the difference I mean and there are people who are okay with that who have the talent to go to sit down and play the same arrangement, but make it sound fresh every time. That's the craft, you know. The drummers that do that, I mean, I have a lot of respect for them. Do you mean sort of in a in a pop setting or or just any? Whatever it is, you know, it could be in a jazz setting too, where the, the jazz players that do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a difficult thing to do. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, we had mentioned technique a little bit, and I know that that you've made the transition sort of from tra- traditional to playing match grip. And there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of talk, whether it be on the podcast or sort of in a lot of the forums as well about traditional grip versus match grip. And, you know, how a lot of people are starting to switch to match grip because it's a sort of an unnatural thing. Is that what it was for you? I know that you had some tendonitis issues and things. Um, but what, what's your, what's your take on it? Do you think that, Everyone should be playing mats, or do you think it was just something that that you needed to? No, I don't think so. I had to do it for physical reasons, but uh, you know, now I'm actually incorporating the fulcrum grip again, so I'm I'm you know integrating that back in. Each one has its has its uh, uh, advantage. I mean, match grip is actually a natural way to play with sticks. I mean. When people pick up sticks, that's the way they play. The fulcrum grip was created for marching down purposes because the drum was on a slant. Sure. So, you know, now a lot of, uh, you know, marching bands all play with the drum, their drum straight up. And mm-hmm. they play match grip because that's, that's natural, you know. So, uh, or if you play a Latin way, you know, play a Latin beat on the drum, you play match grip. Because right. you want, you got to hit the rim, you know, rim, you know, uh, with the stick. So, um, one advantage of the fulcrum grip, you know, for me, in any way, is having a better bounce control with the, with it, uh, as opposed to with the, with the uh, match grip. Mm-hmm. But I find advantages in both. Do you feel like you have more more finesse with the sort of traditional? I have it. I have it both ways. Yeah, it works both ways. Since I played both ways, so mm-hmm. it's you know. And it's interesting because some people are like you, where they say you know it has advantages and disadvantages, and some people are completely against one or completely against the other. You know, it's 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 an interesting topic, and I think that the and I, this is my opinion. I think that if the if traditional grip is done incorrectly, then there can be severe physical difficulties that go along with it maybe not as maybe not as severe as if you're playing match grip incorrectly oh yeah i mean it depends on the individual and what 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 type of music they're playing and how their stamina and how their their health is you know right 
depends on a lot of factors, but it's up to the individual. You know? <laughs> the, the arguments will continue, I suppose. It shouldn't be in any argument. It's just a couple. It's a matter of choice. Sure. And what works best for the player. Right. <laughs> I agree. Um, I I, I want to talk about the the 2017 tour that you're doing. So I know that it'll be, so it's your 75th year, right? Your 75th uh, birthday. Yep. And so you're doing this tour with John Medeski, John Schofield. Um, who else is on the tour? Um, yeah. Larry Grenadier. Right, right, right. So tell me a little bit about that. What was sort of the catalyst for that? Was there a, what was the reasoning behind it just for the tw- the 75th birthday? Or? He did a benefit concert in Woodstock uh, uh, some year, a year or so ago for, uh, I think it was for fracking, I believe, because uh, New York State was uh, trying to get um, our uh, governor, Cuomo, we were trying to get a moratorium on fracking in New York State. Mm-hmm. So we did a benefit concert, and the music was so much fun that, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice to uh, celebrate my 75th year with playing <coughs> some music with with John and, uh, and uh, both Johns, John Medeski, John Scofield, and Larry Grenadier. Right. <laughs> and I played with both with with John um, and uh, Larry Grenadier. In different circumstances, so you know, we hadn't played with Medeski. So after doing that, we decided to uh, I'd ask everybody if they wanted to do a tour next year, and they said, "Yeah, let's do it." Bad luck. And we just had a rehearsal yesterday that went very well. So we decided to call the group Hudson because we all kind of live up in the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's really exciting. You know what we're going to be doing: original tunes, some cover tunes. But uh, I'm not going to talk about that now. <laughs> Okay. Well, the, I, the only question I had was: there um, is there a record that went along with it, or was it just just yeah, tune? We'll be recording. We'll be recording. Amazing, amazing. We'll start touring in June and go through, you know, off and on uh, to up to October. But I'll also be touring with my tr- the trio with uh, Robbie Coltrane and Matthew Garrison. Uh, we'll be playing. You know, new music and improvisations from our uh, ECM album, uh, In Movement. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing, you know, one-offs, uh, you know, in early part of next year, too. And all that can be find, found on your website as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So where where exactly are you located? I'm upstate New York. Okay. New stop. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So do you teach privately up there or no? Nope. No? <laughs> no, but I do go off to... Uh, do you know artists of residencies? I just came back from four days at uh, Berkeley College of Music, so okay, that was very, very good and informative, and uh, listening to students and uh, talking with some of the uh, the uh, teachers there, the, the alumni, and uh, it was very, very uh, uh, informative and inspiring. So. Uh, Really great, and uh, Terry Lynn Carrington helped set it up, and I'll probably be doing some more of that. I enjoy doing that more. <clears throat> more than more so than than teaching privately. Yeah, I mean, I don't teach privately. I don't consider what I do like like teaching drum lessons. I don't do that. Is it because you don't you don't enjoy it, or you just don't think that that's the best way to sort of communicate the things that you have to? I used to do it, you know, uh, but um, you know, I prefer to go, you know, to a place where they 
or it's set up um, rather in my home, you know. I'd rather sure. do it and do it with a group of musicians, you know, mm-hmm. not drummers, but I work with ensembles too, you know. Right. Listen to them, you know. Since I play piano, I, I work with them at, at the piano sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find that more enjoyable. Sure, I think it's I think it's more effective too. I would mm-hmm. imagine that if you're you can sort of demonstrate something or go through something and say, okay, I'll, I'll get on piano and you can you can play drums and we'll sort of work this work this out together. And versus go take this thing and go home and learn it, you know. Right, and it's good for them. They like well, you know, okay, you know. Yeah. Sure. So if people want to learn more about you, communicate with you, uh, keep up to date with your with your touring and your artists and residencies and master classes and things like that you're doing, the best place would be to just go to your website? Website and, and, and Facebook sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And I will um, I will link to all that stuff in the show notes. So every podcast has show notes to it. So I will link to... The tours, I will link to uh, your website and your Facebook and, and all of that stuff and your and the heads as well. I want to personally thank you not only for the things that you've added to the drumming community and, and for the music that you've put out into this world, but also for taking the time to chat with me and, and, and share your, your wisdom and your insight with all of the drummers who listen to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you very much, Jack, and uh, safe travels out there on the road, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, Nick. All right. Jack, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Jack DeJanette. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got some some knowledge out of it. His, his, <laughs> he's very, uh, he was short with his answers, and I, I dig that because it's, he's concise and he's not not going to beat around the bush about things and he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat things he just tells you how it is and and i i totally respect that so uh for the notes to everything that we talk about and how you can follow jack and see what he's up to and all that stuff you can visit drummersresource.com forward slash session 236 and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening i hope you have a fantastic 2017 And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.